Hi, everyone. I thought I'd take this opportunity to record a read aloud. And we're going to take a look at the book called The Parker Inheritance by Varian Johnson. Chapter one, Abigail Caldwell. October 17, 2007. Abigail Caldwell stared at the letter. The letter stared back. The paper was bright, crisp, smooth, like the pages of a new book that had yet to be cracked open. The letter with its small black single-spaced words and sharp pages spoke of a great injustice. It was written by a man who did not exist, and it promised an incredible fortune to the city of Lambert, South Carolina, if its puzzle could be solved. Abigail refolded the letter, then placed it in her purse. Dusk was beginning to set, and apart from the handful of teens playing basketball, Vickers Park was empty. She sat on a bench outside of the Anoche Washington Memorial Tennis Courts. A small crew had already removed the rusted fence surrounding the courts and was now carrying over jackhammers. A large yellow backhoe loomed in the distance. Miss Caldwell, you sure you want us to start tonight? The chief of maintenance asked, handing her some earmuffs. We're going to have to pay overtime, and the noise alone will. I know, she said. I'll deal with any fallout tomorrow. She couldn't risk starting the operation during daylight hours. It would draw too much attention. The chief adjusted his hard hat. Which court do you want us to start with? He asked. That one, she said, pointing to the one on the left. It sat directly across from her park bench, from what she hoped was the final clue. And it would be mighty helpful if I knew what we were looking for, he said. I agree, Odell, she rose from the bench. Maybe a chest? A crate? I don't know. But I'm sure we'll recognize it when we see it. Once the lights had been erected, the crew began jackhammering, breaking up the green tennis courts into chunks. Then came the backhoe its engine groaning through the night. Abigail stood nearby, flashlight in hand, watching as the machine scooped out pile after pile of rubble and dirt. With each dump, she reminded herself of all the clues from the letters, the photos. The money had to be here. The chief paused the backhoe after a few hours, then waved over Abigail. I'm sorry, Miss Caldwell, but we are not finding anything. How much deeper do you want us to go? She checked her watch. Time was passing too quickly. It would be drawn or dawn soon, and with the sunrise would come a flurry of questions and accusations. Maybe just a little deeper, she glanced at the bench. And can you have a few of your guys start jackhammering the base below there, too? He followed her eyes to where she was looking. But don't tear up the bench. It's important. He frowned. But Miss Caldwell, the work order said we're only supposed to. Don't worry about that, she snapped. I signed the order and I'll handle any problem with the paperwork. Then she sighed. I'm sorry, it's just a lot's riding on this. As he went to give her new instructions to his crew, she peered into the deep, dark hole. Abigail had wagered her reputation, her job, and perhaps her overall career on a hunch. She hadn't even considered that she could be wrong. A newbie from the Lambert Trader showed up around four o'clock in the morning, followed by more experienced reporters an hour later. And then as the sun rose over the park's majestic oak tree, a black sedan pulled up in front of the basketball courts. Abigail was a little surprised the mayor had arrived in person, but then again, 
He was up for re-election next year. It was probably time for him to make his annual trek to the Vista Heights neighborhood. Abigail checked the small hole where the bench had been, then walked back to the larger hole. She didn't know it yet, but it didn't matter what, if anything, she discovered that morning. The mayor had already suspended her. She would be forced to resign by the end of the day. The letter would remain a mystery, its secrets hidden for 10 more years until someone came along who was brave enough or perhaps foolish enough to take up the challenge again. That someone was Abigail's granddaughter. Her name was Candace Miller. Chapter 2 Of course, 12-year-old Candace Miller didn't know anything about a secret letter or hidden fortunes. She was just a girl trying to get through a horrible summer. She sat at the kitchen table, finishing a book she'd read twice before. Then she closed the book, walked to her room, and flopped down on the carpeted floor. Well, technically, it wasn't her room. Her real room was in her real house in Atlanta. This room, small and cramped, sat at the rear of the house, unfamiliar to Candace, a house in Lambert, South Carolina, a city she had no desire to live in. The house had belonged to her grandmother, Abigail Caldwell. Her grandmother had been dead for two years, but being surrounded by all of her things had brought a dull ache back to Candace's heart. Candace's parents had been divorced for about six months and separated even longer. Her mother had been trying to sell their house in Atlanta since the divorce, yet no one had shown any interest in buying their cozy bedrooms and classic kitchen. Candace's father eventually convinced her mother to let him bring in a contractor, Buddy, to do a remodel. Instead of staying in the house or finding a nearby apartment, Candace and her mother had moved to Lambert for the summer. Candace's grandmother had only owned her house there for a few years before she moved to Atlanta but she kept the house as a furnished rental property. It had recently become vacant. It's a sign, her mother said, when she sprung the news on Candace. This way, I won't be tempted to pop into the house every day to see how Daniel is destroying my kitchen. And we'll save a little money. Candace remembered how tightly her mother had hugged her. As much as I hate that city for what it put Mama through, we could both use a change of scenery. Candace didn't want to move, but... Not because of her grandmother. It was everything else happening that summer that Candace didn't want to miss. Natalie Thompson's birthday pool party, trips to the mall with Dee Dee and Courtney, summer basketball games with her dad, and their house was in a perfect location. Her friends lived in the same neighborhood. The library was down the street. Her father's apartment was only a couple of miles away. Candace thought her father would push back against the move. She saw him every other day, sometimes more, surely he would demand that Candace remained in Atlanta. Maybe she could even live with him for a summer. But her dad never offered to let her stay at his apartment, and she never asked. And before she knew it, she was saying her goodbyes, leaving the only home she'd ever known. Still lying on the floor, Candace ran her fingers through the thin, battered aluminum bracelet circling her wrist. The bracelet used to belong to her grandmother. But she had given it to Candace almost five years ago. The letter, MS, from Mississippi, her grandmother's home, state, were engraved in the inside of the bracelet. On the outside was the word love. Candace had begun wearing it again two weeks ago after their move to Lambert. It just felt right. The back door opened a few moments later and Candace left her bedroom and returned to the kitchen. Her mom stood at the sink, filling a glass with tap water. 
Candace was still getting used to her mom's small afro. It had barely been a month since her mother had cut off all of her hair in order to go natural. It looked good, but it was strange after the long straight hair her mother had had all of Candace's life. Still, the big chop was about number 117 on the list of life-changing things that had happened over the past couple of years. Sorry I was gone for so long, her mother said. I lost track of time talking to Juanita across the street. What have you been up to? Candace smirked, just rereading my books. Again. Walked into that one, didn't I? Her mother sighed. I promise I'll take you to the library today. She had been saying that for the past two days. Maybe you should check the attic, her mother continued. I bet Mama's got a whole bunch of old books up there. Maybe even some puzzle books or board games. She finished her water, then placed the glass in the sink. I need to get up there as well and sort through all of Mama's stuff. She had been saying that for the past two years. Then her mother nodded toward Candace's wrist. I'm glad that you're wearing Mama's bracelet again. It looks good on you. Her mother paused and Candace could almost hear the echo of sadness between them. The house even seemed to smell like her grandmother, like fresh lavender. Candace's grandmother had died suddenly after her second heart attack. They hadn't had a chance to say goodbye. What made it lucky? Her mother rolled her eyes. Mama wasn't really blessed in the luck department, especially when it came to Lambert. What does that mean? Candace asked. She had heard her mother make comments like that throughout the years, even when her grandmother was still alive. Grandma would always nod and counter with, just because you don't see the path doesn't mean it's not there. If Candace was nearby, she would turn to her and wink, like it was a shared secret between them. Not knowing how to respond, Candace would just smile back. Her mother took a deep breath, then sat down at the table. Since we're going to be living here for a while, there's a few things you need to know about your grandmother. She motioned for Candace to sit as well. Technically, Mama resigned from her job here, but she was really fired. It was a pretty big deal. She could have gone to jail. Candace's eyes widened. Her grandmother? A criminal? What did she do? She acted a fool, her mother muttered, muttered almost to herself. Your grandmother somehow got it in her head that there was a buried treasure hidden somewhere in the city. She talked to the mayor about it. He told her to drop it. It seemed like one big con job. But I guess she didn't let it go. Mom shook her head. She spent months doing all this research about God knows what. Then she decided to dig up one of the old tennis courts, forged city paperwork to play a crew or to pay a crew and rent a backhoe. Dug all night. Candace leaned forward. She pictured her grandmother with a shovel digging up a pirate's chest full of gold. Did she find anything? Nothing but dirt, she replied. Mama was lucky. The city didn't want a scandal. They agreed not to press charges if she signed a confidentiality agreement and destroyed all of her research. Candace had to sit on her hands to stop from bouncing. Lambert suddenly seemed a lot more interesting. A mystery like this was more exciting than any of the logic and strategy games on her iPad touch. What if Grandma was right? What if there really was a hidden fortune? I can already see the gears turning in your head, her mother said. Let me stop you now. This isn't one of your computer games. There is no buried treasure, she crushed her arms. That was what, almost 10 years ago? If there really was a pile of money hidden around the city, I'm sure someone would have found it by now. But 
I don't think you understand. Your grandma was the first woman, the first African-American to serve as city manager for Lambert. This was supposed to be a stepping stone to other things. Columbia, Greenville, Savannah, who knows? Maybe she could have ended up running a big-time department for the city of Atlanta. But because she refused to let that one thing go, she torpedoed her career. And she made herself the laughingstock of the city, of the entire state. It was all over the internet. Crazy Lady Cadwell, Alzheimer Abigail, the mole lady. And of course, she never got another shot at being a city manager. The excitement that had been bubbling up inside Candace began to simmer down. I know, or I never knew that. No one likes to talk about their failures, especially your grandmother. She tapped the table. I know you love a good mystery, but the last thing I need is you drumming up all of this old stuff about a buried treasure. The past is the past. Grandma's legacy is tarnished enough. I don't want you to make it worse. Just because Grandma made a mistake doesn't mean she's a failure, Candace said. Trust me, you don't know all the facts. Candace stared at her knees. er, Slivers of brown skin showed through the shredded fabric. Her father had also been begging her to toss the jeans away for almost a year, but they were more comfortable than anything else Candace owned. A mistake isn't a failure, Candace said, pulling a, a loose thread. It's just an opportunity to try again. That was another of her grandmother's sayings. Candace could recite by memory the story about her grandmother had pulled herself through college while raising two kids. She had to repeat a few classes, but she eventually graduated with a master's degree. Good Lord, what it is with you and your grandmother, she thought. You walked on water and would correct anyone who said anything different. Now, here you go, doing the same thing for a woman who's not even here anymore. Candace tugged on another thread. It was true, her grandmother has always been protective of Candace, but not overprotective. Like her dad, more like she took up for Candace when people, usually adults, said she couldn't do something. When adults said she wasn't old enough, or when they said she shouldn't do something because she was a girl, and even when Candace made a mistake, her grandmother would tell her it was just a learning experience and to try again. After a few moments, her mother reached across the table and took Candace. Your grandmother was many things, strong, dynamic, and stubborn too. She sighed, but she also made a big mistake. Maybe that doesn't make her a failure in our eyes, but the world doesn't always see people in the way we want. We will pick up on chapter three tomorrow. Take care.